Hey, this is Pastor Jeff Workmeister of Elevate Church, and welcome to our podcast. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the podcast. So I'm excited because, like I said, I believe that God wants to release something in this atmosphere that's going to be transformational. So I'm going to read a story for you that's going to be the backdrop of what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to tell you about a story about an old man and his white horse. In this parable, the old man has a beautiful white horse that he could sell and amass a large fortune. The old man chooses to keep it in the stable and never sells the horse. His neighbors think he is crazy and tells him often, there will come a day where the horse is stolen and you will have nothing. Isn't it funny how someone always will have an opinion about what's best for you? You will always come up against the opinions of others about what's best for you and your life and your situation. But guess what? That day actually came. He was waking up one morning and the horse was not in the stable and was nowhere to be found. The neighbors were right all along. And they rushed to tell the man he was now cursed because he had lost everything. There's always going to be a temptation to adopt someone else's perspective and reality. Always. Every time you are faced with a situation, someone is always going to come up and tell you about your situation, and there's an opportunity for you to adopt their reality. All reality is adopted reality. But what does the man do? His response is profound. He says, don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. This is all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? Somebody say, stay here. The people were offended by what the man said and said, how can you say this? It is clear that you are cursed no matter what your perspective might be. And the old man spoke again and said, all I know is that the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? What a fool the neighbors thought. After several days, guess what? The horse returned. He had not been stolen, but ran away. And on his return, he brought with him a dozen wild horses. Now the neighbors had to come out to him and tell the man that you were right all along. And in fact, you are blessed because now you have a whole herd of horses. The man responds again. Once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State that a dozen horses returned with him, but don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You only see a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book. Can you judge the entire book? The man's neighbors found it hard to argue with this. Maybe he's right. Deep down inside, they knew the old man was wrong. He had one horse, and now he has 13. How could he say he isn't blessed? Then the old man had a son, his only child, and one day he went to break in the wild horses. When one flung him off, and when he landed, he broke both of his legs. The neighbors were awestruck at the man's wisdom. He was right, we were wrong. The old man, being too old to farm, no longer had his son available to work the land. With no one tending to farm, he would most likely lose all of his income. Not long after this, a war broke out, in the old man's country, all the young men were called up to serve in the army where most would perish, leaving many fathers without their sons. This was true for the old man's neighbors who had sons that were never to return home. They went to the old man weeping, saying, you were right and we were wrong. 
Your son's accident is a blessing. And while his legs are broken, you will have many more years with him, they said. We will not. Our sons are gone. You are blessed, and we are cursed. The old man responded once again, it is impossible to talk to you. You ever had those people where it is just hard to talk to you? No matter where we are, it's always difficult to come to the consensus where we are on the same page. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war and mine did not. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. Only God knows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts, our minds, our perspectives. Sweep the room and allow your spirit to fill this moment. I get completely out of your way. You speak, do whatever you want to do. We trust you to be God in this moment. We honor you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love the man's response in this story. Now, what's crazy is because every time a situation happened, the neighbors came back with a different story. Every single time. When the horses were gone, when they came back, when the son broke his legs, and when their sons went to war, they had a different response. But I love how the man stayed firm in his response, knowing that all I know is to stay in this moment. One of the hardest things to do in life is to stay in this moment because time is moving so fast. I remember a time, actually, if I go back, and I'm not too old, but I'll date myself a little bit. Anybody remember pagers? Remember pagers? And I used to, what's funny, when I got my pager, I used to hold it up, but somehow I used to make it think that it, I could read it better if I held it up in the sky, right? When somebody pages, now if you don't know what a pager is, it's a device that you would wear on your hip before cell phones, and they would call and leave a number in and show you which number to call. I remember the time of pay phones, where you had to go find a pay phone, and I also remember the time where there was one phone in the house that used to have that thousand foot cord, you know that phone, where you could walk around in every room of the house and never drop the call. Time is moving so fast. That seems like yesterday. You know, I also remember a time where I didn't have to really consider how I was turning my body. You know, I was telling my, my family the other, the other day is that I was in the basement getting out Christmas decorations, and I went to turn, and my knee said, mm-mm. And I realized that one wrong turn could be all she wrote. But I remember a time I could throw my body around, and it wouldn't hurt. I look at our six-year-old, and he just falls on purpose. And I say, man, I remember those days. That seems like yesterday, but time is moving so fast, which makes it hard to stay here. It takes intentionality to stay in this moment. Our tendency is, as human beings, is we either look past this moment or we look behind this moment. Because we're over-consumed with the next moment, which is how fear and anxiety and worry creeps in, or we're overly critical about the last moment, which is how guilt and shame and condemnation creeps in. But it's important to stay in this moment. It's a level of faith to say, I'm going to stay here. Because there is power in your response. And my job today is to activate that power to help us respond in every situation correctly so that we can receive what God wants to do in this moment. The reason why we have to stay in this moment is because miracles happen in the moment. If we are overly concerned about the next moment, I can't be fully present with this moment. And I could miss what God wants to do because I'm overly concerned 
about what's happening next. I'll be very honest, for years it was hard for me to do that, to stay here. Because I was always worried about next. Because I'm a planner, I'm a visionary, I like to know what's happening. So I'm always looking there and I can't appreciate what's happening here. Things were happening in my life and I couldn't celebrate them because I was on to the next one so quickly. And if we're not careful, if we can't stay here and we don't respond correctly in this moment, we'll miss what God wants to do here and now. So I want to activate the power of your response. And I want to, let's look at a scripture about a man whose response almost talked him out of the greatest miracle he will ever receive. Let's go to John chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. And this is uh, the story about the man who's laying at the pool of Bethesda. And the scripture says this. One of the men that were lying there had been sick for 38 years. Let's pause really quick. What do you do when you've been dealing with something for a long time? How do you respond when you've been in a place for a long time? Because that's where the devil seems to operate in the midst of time from when God spoke something and its manifestation. When you've been in this place for 38 years, we have the tendency to identify ourselves with our situation. And we see that Jesus, when he saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him, would you like to get well? Now, I had to pause for a second because I said, Jesus, why would you ask such a rhetorical question? Because if you'd have asked me, I would have said, duh, yes, I've been here for 38 years. Why would I not want to get well? But look at his response. He says, I can't, sir. For I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. I love Jesus' response. He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. What I see with this man's response is what happens that a lot of us do the same thing. Is that when Jesus calls, we don't answer the call. We justify our condition. He says, would you like to get well? He never even answered Jesus' question. He said, I can't, sir. I have no one to put me in the pool. And a lot of times, it's very easy to come into a situation where we begin to justify our issue. Yes, God, I want everything that you have for me, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm carrying. Do you know what happened to me? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what I lost? It's very easy to step into that space where he's saying, would you like to receive what I have for you? And we say, God, I would, but I can't. I can't. Because what I have on me and what I'm dealing with and what I've lost is too great for me. Oftentimes, we don't answer the call. We justify our condition. But can I tell you something? Your healing and your help can never be received in a state of justification. Let me break some news to you. God is a gentleman. He is not going to kick down the door and force a miracle on you. He's going to stand at the door and knock. And we have to be willing to be vulnerable and accessible and honest to say, okay, God, this is my issue. I'm going to bring it to you, and I'm not going to justify it. Because once I begin to justify, I alleviate the opportunity for me to get what I came for. So we see the response here. And I love in the scripture how Jesus never addressed his response. I think a lot of times we want Jesus to do that. We want him to say, I understand. I get it. But Jesus never talks to us about now. He talks to us about next. 
And it's not that he's insensitive to our situation. He just sees what's about to happen in the next moment. We can get so caught up as to this situation right now, and I'm like, Jesus, this hurts. This is difficult. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's about to happen in a minute is going to change your life. So we can't waste time staying here in this moment. I'm trying to get you to the next moment. He says, I can't. I don't have anybody to put me in a pool. Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. I'm not even going to acknowledge it because I'm going to speak to you about the next moment. And what does this say to us? That healing requires participation. Oftentimes, we think that we're just going to bring it in, and I'll just give it to God, and he's going to do all the work. He's saying, I am willing to do exactly what you need if you respond with a heart of participation. If you are willing to get up and take up your bed and walk, if you respond with the aspect of, okay, God, I'm going to bring it to you, and I'm going to do my part. Because once I cooperate and participate with what you want to do in my life, I get the fullness of what you want to do in my life. So we have to be participators. But the truth is, is that your participation will always be challenged by your problems. Always. You ever notice when you make a decision to follow God or live for him or do what he's called you to do that all hell seems to break loose in your life? Anybody ever been there? Well, you prayed to God and you say, okay, God, I'm going to say yes. And then everything starts happening in your life to say, well, maybe not. That's tend to, that's, that's, that seems to be how it tends to take place, is that as soon as I say I'm going to participate, all of the problems begin to stir. Everything happens. I say I'm going to get up and I'm going to come to the house of God with the right mindset, with it be intentional about uh, interacting and engaging, and then all of a sudden on the way to church, you get a flat tire. The problems arise, and it will always challenge your participation. But the enemy thinks that if he throws enough problems at you, you'll stop participating and you won't engage. But if we're able to tap into this response of participation, we can really truly see what God wants to do in our lives. But how do you respond with participation? Psalms 100 verses 4 through 5 says this, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. How do I participate? I adopt a mindset, a posture, a position, and an attitude of gratitude. When I come in, I come in with thanksgiving. I enter in with praise. I'll be thankful to him. Because when I'm, when I'm grateful... It opens up something in the atmosphere that allows me to connect with God freely. Did you know that gratitude is the antidote for anxiety? That if you're anxious and you're focused about things, that gratitude will literally alleviate you from anxiety. And a lot of times we come into the presence of God with our issues. And if I'm not stepping into this place of thanksgiving and into his course with praise, when I look up to God to connect with him, I'll see him through the lens of my situation. So then I'll see God improperly. So when I'm looking up through the lens of my situation, I can't see him clearly, which makes me operate in a relationship of fragments. But if I become grateful, it alleviates this situation, and then I can see God clearly for who he is. And a lot of times, we have so many things that happen in our lives 
And it makes us hard. It makes it hard sometimes, if you're honest, to find the key things that we're grateful for. Because I think oftentimes we try to be grateful for the big stuff. And we don't break it, break it all the way down to the essentials. You say, okay, well, thank God for your marriage. Well, what if my marriage is in shambles? Thank God for your job. What if I hate this job? I don't even like these people. And it becomes hard to tap into that spirit of gratitude. But once I break it down to the essentials of just taking a breath and saying, God, thank you that you didn't cut my breath off. That I'm able to take a breath, that I have the ability to send a signal from my brain to my extremities to ball a fist. The fact that I have eyes to see and I could smell, taste, I can hear, I can touch. Thank you, God, that you gave me clothes to put on my back and shoes. I didn't walk in here barefoot. Thank you. And then what happens is, is that gratitude begins to snowball. Because if I break it down to the essentials and I'm thanking you for everything, I'm thanking you for breath and for shoes, and I'm thanking you for this house, and then I start realizing, I remember when they said I wasn't going to get this house, but you somehow made a way. And then it starts to, to snowball into my relationship. Oh, God, thank you, because I remember times when I was alone and desperate, and you sent somebody beside me to walk and to accomplish what you've called for me to accomplish. It begins to snowball, and then I can see God clearly for who he is. And then I can approach him correctly. Because how you come to God matters. He wants you to come as you are, but as you develop relationship, your approach is indicative of your awareness of who you are approaching. How I approach you shows an awareness of who, who, who you are to me. You approach your boss different than you do your best friend. When you're talking to your boss, oh, we're buttoned up. Good morning. How you doing? Even when we come to church, we're really buttoned up. How are you? Blessed are the Lord and highly favored. No, you're not. You're frustrated. Angry. Barely made it in here this morning. But we, we get buttoned up because I feel like I have to present this version of myself. But if I get into an aspect with my best friend, I can be open and honest. How are you? Listen, I'm stressed. I'm frustrated. I'm trying to figure it out. Stuff is weighing heavy on me right now. And God is saying, I want you to approach me like you would your best friend because it is in your vulnerability that you give me access. The enemy wants to tell us, you just got to suck it up. Keep pushing. Oh, you don't cry. You, can, you, you can't take time to, to grieve and to mourn. We got stuff to do. Get up. And we think I got to just hold it together. I got to keep it in and I can't really embrace how I'm feeling. And if we fall into that trap, what happens is we eliminate the accessibility that God wants for us. Because it's, it's in our surrender that we give him access. The real reason I think that we don't oftentimes enter into his presence with thanksgiving is because we don't have a true awareness of the value of his presence. Like, would you really think about this? That when I come into the presence of God, I have an audience with the almighty, all-knowing, omnipresent God who created the heavens and the earth, who hung the sun, the moon, the stars in place, who has the ability, who is supporting my breath right now as I speak. When I come into his presence, it's, it's an awareness of knowing that when I get into the audience with the king, that I have the ability to access the fullness of joy. Because he said, in my presence, there is fullness of joy. And I think a lot of times we are seeking joy outside of his presence. 
And he says, if you just come to me, if you allow me in, the fullness that you seek can only be found in me because you were created from this relationship for this relationship. So he's saying, if you just let me in and you respond with a level of gratitude, it gives me access to tap into exactly what I want to do in your heart and in your mind. Here are some benefits of gratitude. One, we see God clearly when we're grateful. Two, it protects our heart. A lot of times I think that our heart experiences certain wounds and breaks and breaches because we are operating in a space where we don't realize that it's God who is controlling everything and we put our hope and our trust in man and in situations and when they fail, then we're left heartbroken. Gratitude also is the antidote for society, I mean anxiety. But I want to give you some natural benefits of gratitude for all my scholars in the room. At a neurobiological level, gratitude actually regulates the sympathetic nervous system that activates our anxiety responses. At a psychological level, it conditions the brain to filter negative ruminations and focus on positive thoughts. When we enter into a grateful state of mind, our brain releases dopamine and serotonin, two, two crucial happiness neurotransmitters, Dopamine is a neurotransmitter often referred to as the motivation molecule because it contributes to the feelings of motivation, happiness, and focus. If you are in a place where you're lacking motivation, happiness, and focus, I dare you to just tap into a space of gratitude. Because something is released in your brain, and then you start to tap into the essence of what God has done for you and what he wants to do through you, and gratitude opens that door for God to actually come in and do what he wants to do. But if we'll be honest, it's a lot of things that contribute to our inability to tap into that space. What happens when we enter into his presence, not with thanksgiving and with praise, but with trauma and with past problems? Because a lot of us come into God's presence like this, with the weight that we're carrying. And we come into the house of God and we come into the presence of God and people are saying, hey, let's tap into this moment and let's, let's activate what God wants to do. And you're saying, yeah, but you don't see what I'm carrying. That this weight, if I carry it long enough, it will begin to alter how I even am able to posture myself. See, I'm standing up straight now, but eventually what happens is I'll begin to bend over to accommodate the weight. And a lot of us are bent over and we're, we're feeling downtrodden and we're feeling lost and we're feeling confused because I've been accommodating this weight for 38 years. I've been carrying this thing since childhood. You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know what happened to me. You didn't see what was done. You didn't see what I lost. And I come in with this weight. And this weight begins to alter how I even move, how I'm able to connect with God, how I'm able to connect with my spouse, how I'm able to connect with my children because I'm trying to accommodate the weight. And I can't get into a space of gratitude because it's so heavy. And I can say thank you and I can go through the, the motions and I can tap into a moment of Simon Says and just say what you say, but this weight is getting in the way of me accessing a true spirit of gratitude. But this is what the Holy Spirit is saying today. If we go to Isaiah 61 and 3, 
believe the Holy Spirit is saying that he is here to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Can I tell you something? Heaviness is a spirit, and you can't work your way out of heaviness. That you can't fill your life with enough great moments and, and good memories to alleviate heaviness, that it is a spirit and it has to be uh, acted upon from a spiritual lens. So what is he saying? He said, I came to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Context matters. It's because what happens is, even though garments are supposed to be worn, what we want to do is we want to take this garment of praise and throw it over our spirit of heaviness. And we want to try to tap into it, but I can't even put it on. I can't even get my arms in it. I can't really tap into to this, to this gratitude and this, and this spirit of praise because this weight is in the way. So my praise is fragmented, so then I'm having a fragmented experience with the king because this spirit of heaviness is getting in the way. It's in the way, and I'm in the space where I'm like, okay, God, I want to connect with you, but it's in the way. It hurts. My whole posture has changed over the course of 38 years I've been carrying this. I don't even know how to move, how to function now because I've been so conditioned to carrying the weight, so much so that I don't even want to let it go because I've identified myself with this spirit of heaviness. And if you take this, who am I? Because I've insulated myself in the fact that, okay, yeah, that, that the things that happened to me, okay, I, now I'm strong because of it. The things that I lost, okay, now it made me resilient. And we think that the things that we went through and the things that we are carrying are why we are who we are. And he's saying that I want to give you the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's not in conjunction with. He says, I want to make a trade. I want to exchange this with you. He's saying, if you give me this heaviness, I'll give you the praise. I'll give you this garment. I'll give you the perspective that shows who you are and who I created you to be. If you give me the heaviness, I'll make the exchange with you. But what does this require? Our participation. So what is then, then the response? I got to be willing to take this off. To say, God, I, I know you want to make a trade, but this is all I've known. This has shaped my perspective. This has shaped my mentality. This has shaped how I respond. This has shaped how I interact. This has been my life. And he's saying, but if you give it to me, I'll make an exchange with you. And you may be saying, well, God, I don't know how to give it to you. I don't know what life looks like without it. How do I let this go? He's saying, if you cast your cares and take this weight and lay it at my feet because I care for you, then you can fully access what I have for you. 
Because it's different when I put it on now. Now I get the full benefits. Now I'm covered in it. Now I'm protected in it. Did you know that your praise is an act of protection? That it protects you from negative thoughts? That it protects you from improper perspective? That your praise keeps you insulated in the presence of God so that when everything tries to come up from those moments behind you and get you overly concerned about the moment that's coming, that you can stay locked into this moment. But it all comes when I make the exchange. When I am willing to put down this weight and put on who God has called me to be. Not what the neighbor said. Not what people have spoken over my life. I can put on who God said I am. I don't have to carry this generational weight. Because some of us have been carrying weight that's been passed down through generations. For some of you, this weight is not even your weight. It was handed to you. And he's saying, I need to make an exchange with you. Because I have something for you to put on. And then you'll be able to pass this down generationally versus the weight. If I make this exchange, I'll be able to pass down generational freedom, generational healing, generational breakthrough, generational praise. But it all starts with being willing to make the exchange. How will you respond in the moment? Because here's the truth. One of the ways that we are most closest to Jesus is when you have justifiable reason to respond the way that you do and you choose not to. What do I mean? When you have every reason to throw in the towel, justifiable reasons. When you've been carrying things, when you've lost things that most people would break under, when you have a justifiable reason to say, I won't, and you choose to anyway, that is when we are embracing the fellowship of his suffering. When he's on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was hanging on the cross and had justifiable reason to come down. He could have came down. This sin is, isn't even mine. This weight isn't even mine. And you aren't responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for how you respond. And when you respond by saying, I'm going to make this exchange and I'm going to put it down. I'm going to give it to you, God. I don't know what life looks like without it. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do as a result, but I'm going to make the exchange because I want to put on what you have for me. I want to put on the essence of the character of God, and I want to tap into your presence and experience the fullness of joy that I've been seeking for so long. And some of us have been tormented at night because we're overly concerned about the next moment. We're so focused on what's coming after this that I'm missing the opportunity to make the exchange. And he's saying, listen, if you just give me that weight, and we're not, we can't even hear it because we're so focused on, okay, I hear what you're saying about the weight, but what, what about tomorrow? 
And he says, if you make the exchange and you put that down and let me in and take on my spirit, then I can step in and show you what I already have in store for you. And today, the spirit is saying, are you willing to make an exchange? You may have justifiable reason to not praise or to not worship. Justifiable reason to throw in the towel. Justifiable reason. You may be frustrated under the weight of the world. You may be under certain things and, and we're focused and you may just be a visionary that's planning and forecasting for 24 and you're so overly consumed about the next moment and God is saying, will you make the exchange and even give me the weight of tomorrow? Because I'm already in tomorrow. And I already have it worked out. I just need to, I need you to give me today so I can lead you into tomorrow. He's saying, stop. It's not in the space where you're trying to get ahead of me. Our participation is not doing God's job. Our participation is allowing him to be who he is and for us to do our part, which is make that exchange. God, it hurts. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. I'm lost. But I'm going to make the exchange. Because if I give it to you and I put on this garment of praise, I can experience the fullness of what you have for me. Because that's too heavy for me. And I don't know who it is, but what you've been carrying is too heavy for you. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Give me the stuff that's too heavy for you and let me do the heavy lifting. But it starts with the exchange. And I can hear you, okay, well, how do I exchange it? How? It sounds good. But what's the practical application? The way that you release and make the exchange is through the words that you speak out of your mouth. Because you either cancel or confirm your condition with your words. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do some activation really quick. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to put in your mind the thing that you've been dealing with, the thing that's been trying to keep you overly consumed with the next moment or overly critical about the last moment. I need you to put that in your mind. The thing that tries to keep you from being able to connect and tap into the fullness of this moment. The thing that's been altering your response, the weight that you've been carrying, I need you to put that in your mind. The fears and the concerns of your heart, the anxiety about tomorrow, put that in your mind. And once you see it, even if it's multiple things, once you see it, once you feel it, I just need you to say, God, I surrender it to you. Say it out of your mouth. God, I surrender it to you. Say it again. God, I surrender it to you. God, I surrender it to you. God, I surrender it to you. I surrender it to you. Because it's through the confession of your faith that you give God access. And he says, you don't even have to do the heavy lifting just by you surrendering it. I will remove the weight. 
I will remove the weight. I just needed your surrender. I just needed your permission. I just needed your permission to step in and replace the thing that you've been carrying. And if you said that in your heart and you meant it and you said, God, I surrender, you're going to see God making the exchange with you. The thing that once was heavy, it's now going to feel a little lighter. And as we all stand to our feet, we're going to put this into practice. Everyone standing. The weight that you've been carrying, you release it through the aspect of your surrender but then you got to put on the garment of praise.